0: Zoom. Oh. Gotcha. Well thank you for having me back again. I was been praying for your new pastor. We've been texting back and forth a bit. He did text me to tell you tell me that he'd been accepted or passed his exams, and I said it only t- didn't take 15 tries. <laughs> very thankful that we went through the first time. These <laughs> are Westminster grads. So I figured he would probably do pretty well. Have your Bibles turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. So let's stand as we read. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. We're only going to look at verses 5 through 9. Though. We'll read 1 through 9. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. With a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with the good will as to the Lord, and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. You may be seated. Our Father and our God, as we look at these few verses that affect every one of us that are in commerce and working for a living. If you would help us to see how they apply to our everyday lives, but not only that, how they apply to our hearts, that through the gospel, we may serve and glorify and obey you in all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as we've been looking through Ephesians, again, just to, to briefly mention Paul goes over and over how we are to live our lives in Christ. And the foundations were laid for that in chapters one through three. We think about that in Christ. You've heard that so much now, although I think it's worth repeating because Paul repeats it 34 times just in this sermon. I mean, this, this small book. And I think a, a way to think about it is, living your life in Christ, not for Christ. And what I mean by that, at first, that sounds like a real red flag. He still have to live for Christ. It's like, let, let me put it this way. Think of, um, think of Sam Oquist. What if Sam were to go tomorrow to the town hall and look up his birth certificate? And then tomorrow, he would start doing every chore in the house. Like he would wash every dish and he would, wash and wax his parents' cars, and he would paint the bathroom and clean the toilet and just do everything in the house. And his mom and dad would come to him and say, Sam, why are you doing this? He said, well, I just want to make sure that I'm part of this family, that you'll accept me. He's doing it for that reason. And we don't have to do that. We belong to Christ, just the way Sam belongs to Matt and John. There's nothing's going to happen to take that familial position away from Sam. Same as nothing is going to take you out of the kingdom of heaven. You're In a sense, you're already in heaven, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, where he's, we're seated in the heavenlies with Christ already, in a sense. And we have that deposit put into our hearts, which is call, called the Holy Spirit. So Paul is saying, remember, you are in Christ. Live that way. Of course we live for Christ. And that's what chapters four, five, and six are about. Chapters one, two, and three, you are in Christ. Remember that. Never forget that. And there's not a lot of imperatives in the first three chapters. Chapters four, five, and six are full of imperatives. Walk in unity. Walk not as the Gentiles. Walk in love. Walk as children of the light. Walk carefully and wisely. Be imitators of Christ, of God. And remember in chapters 4 through 6, these imperatives are not suggestions. They're not like 10 ways to have a better life or um, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective Christians to People. When Paul speaks, he speaks with the authority of an apostle as if Christ himself were speaking. Paul gives three sets of what we call household codes. and We looked at the first one in chapter 5, verses 22 to 33, about marriage. Wives to submit to their husbands, husbands to love their wives. And the goal of the godly marriage is to love sacrificially, to love for each other, to love for Christ. And the second set of what we call the household codes was Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children are to obey and honor their parents. And fathers in particular, I don't know if both parents are bound by this, but fathers in particular are not to provoke or exasperate your children, to train them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Children to look to Christ, the obedient son. Parents to look to the father, the loving father. Learning to love Christ for who he is. Learning to love the father for who he truly is. And the goal of godly parenting is to show that Christ and others to train others to live as good stewards as God requires, good children, good parents, and to glorify and enjoy God. And this third set of household codes we're gonna look at today talks about employers and employees. This is something, if you're an adult, you have a boss or you've had a boss. I was self-employed most of my career Not all of it, but most. And people said, boy, that's great. You didn't have a boss. (laughs) I had hundreds of bosses. (laughs) They're called customers. (laughs) And it was um, really hard at times to please every one of them. Verses five through eight, employees are to render good and honest service to their employees. Those verses mainly talk to employees, how we are to render good and honest service to our employees. This is just basic common sense. It's basic decency to all people who are created in the image of God. It's basic good economic sense. You work well, you get paid well. And then in verse 9, Paul talks to employers not to abuse their employees. And again, this is obvious. It's common decency. It's good economic sense. You get a better return on your investment. You treat your people well, they're gonna work harder. That's just common sense. But is this the only meaning here in this passage? Are we only commodities? Something that the boss can use to, to get more out of you. Do they look at you and see dollar signs? Are we just a cog in the wheel? Are we just puppeteers? just moving our little people around our shop or our business. What is the deeper meaning that's found only in the gospel? Only in the gospel. We are to model Christ to those above us, if we're an employee, and to those below us, if we're an employer. We are to obey as we would Christ. We are to glorify God no matter where he has placed us. This is not just about obeying and treating each other with respect. We are working for Jesus, representing Christ to others above us and below us. And To this end, Paul gives several directions to employees about obeying their employers. He calls them slaves and masters. We'll, we've changed the language a little bit there because we are more 21st century slavery is mostly outlawed in the world. Ways that we, can, as employees, can model Christ, obey Christ to glorify God. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. In the culture that this was written, disobedience could mean a sale to another owner breaking up the family unit it could mean punishment corporal punishment being beaten it could even mean death owners had that kind of power over their employees obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart not deceitful not evasive Not just thinking, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like as you would Christ. He says, as if Christ were your immediate supervisor, your immediate boss, your actual owner, and not by way of eye service, which ties back into with sincere heart. But then he adds, not as by eye service, as people pleasers. That is doing your best only when you're being directly supervised or watched. And we all know what that's like as an employee. When the boss comes in, you're working just a little bit harder. I remember the movie Schindler's List where in the factory, the Nazis come in and they're timing one of the employees and he's just making this whole widget. And they said, wow, you did it in 47 seconds. And he said, yes, that's 47 seconds. Guy says, well, you did so many of these already this morning. It took you more like one, to one and a half minutes. Why is you so fast here? And of course, they want to take him out and shoot him. But. Not by way of eye services, people pleasers. Doing your best all of the time. Showing true character is doing well when you're not being watched. And then he reminds us again, as servants of Christ, belonging ultimately to Christ. Ultimately, we belong to Christ. I'm reminded of Richard Wormbrand, who was a Lutheran pastor in Romania from about the mid-30s up until the 60s. Of course, Romania went through tremendous transformation, upheaval, and oppression during those times. The Nazis occupied Romania He continued to be a pastor and then the communists took over and he continued to preach, was eventually put in a prison for that, tortured almost daily for 10 years. And at one point he was being tortured, he's being beaten, and his tormentor said, you got to remember, you don't belong to anybody, you belong to me. I own you, as he's beating him and one born Brand finally looks up and acknowledges says, you're right, I don't belong to myself anymore. And there's a movie about this called for First Faith. And in the movie, you can see the tormentor just a little bit of a smile start to creep across his face. That he thinks he's made a breakthrough into breaking this prisoner. And Brand says, you're right, I don't belong to you. I belong to Christ. No matter where we are, whether it's on the job site Whether it's at home, whether we're playing sports with our families in prison, being persecuted, we belong to Christ. He owns us. And he says, rendering service with a good will. That is desiring the best for. Eager. I actually looked up that. Goodwill, that's one phrase in Greek, and it does say desiring the best for somebody to be eager to do it. You know, when you're working for somebody, it's like, Man, I just hate this job. <laughs> I, was at, ooh, I, expect that. I was at a Wendy's restaurant a few weeks ago, and they were really slow, and I didn't care. I mean, I'm, I'm some, semi-retired, so semi retired, so it's like, doesn't matter to me anymore, unless I have to see my grandchildren, I'm in a hurry. But... I was in line and they were having trouble with the order ahead of me. And um, his boss, the guy's boss who was taking my order, was getting berated by his manager, really like speaking sharply to him in front of everybody. And then afterwards, when I'm eating, I get up to get another drink and the guy's busting tables and he's just walking along, head down. And he's like, I hate this job. I hate this job. I hate this job. I got to find another job. I hate this job. That's not the way we wanna be, rendering good service with the goodwill as to the Lord working for Jesus, not just the boss. And then in verse nine, he says, masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. So in other words, masters, what we just said about employees, You're not off the hook. This applies to you as well. Stop your threatening. Stop your coercion, your abusive tactics. Not be duplicitous. Don't cheat them on their wages. I have a good friend that his wife just, she works in a a real estate development company. Her boss got a new job and she got promoted into her boss's job and additional responsibilities. A few weeks later, she goes to HR and said, I notice I'm doing my old boss's job. I've been promoted, given her title, have additional responsibilities, but I'm making like 20% less than she is. That's abusive. That's, that's not right. You know, don't treat your employees like that. And Christian companies in particular can be very prone to this. Well, you're working for Jesus. You're doing ministry. So we, we're not going to pay you as much as another company does. Wow, that's that's harsh. No, you're to work and treat your employees as you would Christ. You are under the authority of Christ. He who is both their master and yours. You are not the ultimate boss here. In Matthew, there's a parable in Matthew that's similar to this. It's not exactly about bosses and employees. But the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And I looked that up, and a talent was a unit of money that was worth about 20 years' wages for an average day worker. So that's all, I don't know how somebody gets into that much debt. They must have played a lot of poker or something at night. (laughs) And since he could not pay, I mean, even in 20 lifetimes, he couldn't pay. His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring them, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt, But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. That was about 100 days wages. Wasn't a lot of money. And seizing him, began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And the master summoned them and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Masters, If you're an owner, if you're an employer, treat your employees as you would have them treat you. Which brings us back to Christ. How do we make this work? This is so hard. This does not work without the gospel. Without the gospel, what are we? We're out for, number one, We're striving, we're conniving, we're backbiting, we're cruel. If you don't believe it, just go to the factory, go to the office and hang around the break room, Mm -hmm. hang around the locker room where they're talking about what happened earlier in that shift. I can't believe that boss did that to me today. You know what he did? I heard he's got a report coming up. He hasn't even started again. Backbiting, talking, conniving. We must have the gospel. What is this gospel we are talking about? What is this gospel? I have a good friend, well, a good acquaintance that I know he owns a multinational corporation. He was born in India it lives in the US. He epitomized, oh yeah, showed me the gospel in a tangible way. Showed a lot of people the gospel. He has offices in India. That's an aerospace type company, high tech. And he goes to India periodically for do business. And years ago, back in the late nineties, he was in India and he heard that in Nepal, that slavery was still legal. Type of stuff you're seeing right here, masters, bond servants, slaves, real slavery. where people were in, not just indentured servitude, but people were like owned by other people. So we went across the border into Nepal to look into it. And in Nepal at that time, this is just 25 years ago. This isn't like 1850s America. This is like, you know, really your current stuff. If you got in a debt for just, you know, a few hundred dollars, you could be in, sold to somebody, being owned by them until that debt was paid. And often that went generational. You know, you didn't pay it, your kids would then be subject to that debt and slavery and their children. We're not talking a lot of money here either, We're talking just a few hundred dollars, but it's so poor, these people could not pay it. What did my friend do? He started buying people. started paying off their debt, purchasing them. Why? Well, he did have factories in India, but he didn't ship them back to India to work in his factory. Paid their debt and he set them free set them free, just gave them their freedom. Just like the father chose you and the son paid your debt with his blood on the cross. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary, saying this morning, That's so hard to see without breaking down, thinking of the pain, the suffering, the humiliation, the Savior bore to pay that debt for me, for you. But like Paul Harvey said, that's not the end of the story. The Father gives us the Holy Spirit. As Paul talked about in Ephesians 1, as a guarantee. And just like that, my friend in Nepal, not only paid their debt, but went back and started a school, started an orphanage, gave micro loans out to show them how to live, just like the Bible shows us how to live. Just setting them free wasn't enough. Setting us free is not enough. We are now to live for Christ. Unlike the monetary obligation and problems we face, we have a much greater problem in our lives. We have the problem with sin. As Paul said in Ephesians 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, which we once walked dead trespasses and sins why does he say trespasses and sins i was kind of thinking about that this week trespasses It's well what does trespass mean when you trespass you're not supposed to walk somewhere but you walk that way when you trespass you're deviating from the truth and from uprightness sins go much deeper it's a violation of divine law in thought or in act we are dead in our trespasses and our sins they are condemning us we are following we're following Satan we were following our own lust desires and passions Paul says in verse 3 of chapter 2 what did this yield What what was the result of this just like in a A business relationship of employer-employee, when you work hard, you get what on Friday? Paycheck. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) You don't get an attaboy. (laughs) You don't get a, a gold star. You get a paycheck. What did we get for the trespasses, the sins? We got death. Estrangement from God the inability or even the desire to return to God. How do you think an authority figure would react to this kind of behavior? How would a boss treat his worker who was insubordinate, who was lying, who was stealing? You're fired. Don't come back. But how did God react? was God's response the Bible says in this passage that God is rich it's the only time in the Bible that says God is wealthy what is he wealthy in wrath justice no he's rich in mercy rich in mercy God is rich in mercy. And he, just because he's rich in mercy doesn't mean he winked away our sins. Now, come on, don't worry. It's just, a, it's just a little thing overheated. Come on, don't worry. No. That debt was still outstanding need to be paid. And God paid that debt in Ephesians 1.7. In him, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 5. For he, that is God, for our sake, he made him to be sin, that is Christ, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. The Father made the Son to be sin. For our sake, that so we might become righteousness. Peter puts it like this He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. The debt has been paid. That debt has been paid. What's the fruit of that? What's the result of that debt being paid? Paul says it again in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. One who is rich in mercy has given us the gift, not a result of our work, so that no one may boast. That's a great gift. That's the only gift you ever need. It's the forgiveness of that debt that you cannot pay. And when that debt's paid, what should be our response? First John three twenty three, and this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ and love one another. We are commanded to obey. And then we are commanded to obey. Um, to commanded to believe. Excuse me. First John, he says, "We're commanded to believe, and we're commanded to obey." Ephesians 10, two ten, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Belief, and obedience cannot, must not ever be separated or divorced from one another. Obedience is not optional. It's not something we grow into. It's not something we start after a probationary period or we hit a certain milestone in the faith. We are commanded to obey from day one. And he said to all, this is Christ speaking If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Take up his cross daily and follow me in the workplace. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you're an employee, take up your cross daily and follow him. If you're a boss, take up your cross daily. Start treating your people with respect and compassion. We are to treat everyone like that. Even the wait staff at Dunkin' Donuts. I was at a restaurant a few years ago with a, a group of men, having just a small men's get together and... Um, for breakfast. And one of the guys I was with was just so rude to the waitress. I'm thinking, I really hope this waitress doesn't know this is a men's group doing a you know small get-together for discipleship. That's really a not a good, good example there. Always obeying, always believing, always trusting in Christ. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Our Father and our God, conform us to your image. Help us to pick up that cross daily and follow you. Cause us to believe, cause us to want to follow you. Give us the faith we need to do that. But we know that when those times come, there's going to be a wilderness like Christ had tempted by the devil. There's going to be a Gethsemane when we don't want to do something. There's going to be a Judas in our life that stabs us in the back. they are going to be siblings or friends that don't believe us or don't acknowledge you. they are going to be those that when we're at our most needful of them, they will turn away and run as the disciples did. Let us look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. (coughs) For the joy of the cross, the joy of the cross, which is so foreign to us to think about. The joy was that he would present us to you, Father, one day in heaven, that we would be your bride, his bride, perfected, set apart for your glory. Help us to be good employees, to be good employers, not just to make money, not just to set an example, but to glorify you in everything we do, to point others to Christ, to show them there's more to this life than just making money. There's more to this life than just pleasing ourselves, acquiring stuff. But there is a joy in escape inexplicable that you give to those who are your children. Give us that joy this day. In your name we pray, amen.